are continuing our series called Made New because it's a new year. Well, it's not so new anymore, but, you know, we're still, still getting into the flow of things. But we want this to be a really great year for everyone. We want this to be a successful year. We want you to come to the end of this year and say, that was a year well lived. A year well lived. So we're trusting for you for that, and that's why we are doing this series. So I'm going to pray before we begin. Lord, I thank you for your grace upon us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have good plans for us. Thank you that your desires for us are to prosper us and give us a future and a hope. And so, Father God, we come and we just acknowledge your goodness in our life. Lord God, we ask that you would come and open up floodgates of heaven in our lives, Lord God, that as I preach today, our Lord, I ask that they would not only hear my words, but they would hear you speaking to them. That, Father God, by the end of the sermon, they would find themselves more able to live the kinds of life they've always desired, Lord God. They would find themselves more able to walk with you and be with you well, Lord. And all of God's people said, amen and amen and amen. So I want to talk to you about identity today. There was a drunk man and he um, went for a walk down the road. And lo and behold, he saw a nun in her beautiful habit. Do you know what nuns wear? Do you know what nuns wear? We don't have any in this church, but they, they wear black and white kind of flowing robes. And in his drunken stupor, he stumbled over to her, knocked her over and said, Take that, Batman. See if you're strong now. Andrew's saying that that's a really bad habit, but what, what I wanted you to get out of this joke is that your identity is really important. What you think about yourself and what other people, who other people assume you to be is really important. In case there are drunk people around, be sure of who you are. You know, I, I am convinced of this, that God has a plan for your life. I'm convinced that when he made you, he was thinking of something. I'm convinced that when he made you, he was imagining the exploits that you would do. He was imagining the good things you would get up to. He was imagining the, the fine relationships you would have. He was imagining, imagining the environments you would create that would be happy and life-giving. He was imagining just the, um, the times you would share him and share about him, and people would hear that and say, oh, my word, I want what you have. He was imagining the difficult challenges you would face and that your faith would rise up and you would overcome them and he would look good. He was imagining his glory resting on you. He was imagining the great children you were raised. He was imagining the great spouse you would marry. He was imagining the great family times you would have with your parents and with your brothers and sisters. He was imagining this great church. And in so doing, in, in that imagination, so to speak, that he had about you, he was forming an identity for you. And because he's God, he kind of feels like he has the right to define things. And because he's God, he's probably the best, he is the, not probably, he is the best person to define everything. He's the best person to define you. We all have a perception of who we are. I want to propose to you 
Yet your perception of yourself may not be the same as God's perception of you. I want to propose something to you. That in the majority of cases, I know what you're thinking. Sorry, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I know when I say that, you're thinking, oh my word, God thinks I'm so much worse than I am. Because that's like the human nature. <laughs> but I want to propose this to you, that God actually thinks better of you than you think of yourself. I feel like that plan he originally orchestrated for you is probably higher than you've ever imagined for yourself. How many of you have faced some frustrations in life? Don't raise your hand. I'll raise my hand for all of you. Because I so know that you faced them. I seem to be making a lot of proposals. It must be February. But I want to propose another thing to you. Some of you took a while to get that one. You see, my humor is smarter than my husband's. So his, you get immediately. Mine, you have to think a little bit. So the next thing I want to propose to you is, I've forgotten what I was going to propose. It was something awesome. It'll come back to me in a moment. Oh, <laughs> too clever for myself. But I want to propose to you that the reason we're feeling the, those frustrations is that our view of ourselves is different from God's view. And perhaps we are striving after things or behaving in certain ways contrary to the identity that he is imprinting on your heart. And there's this feeling of something not right. So I feel like one of the greatest things we can do as individuals and even as a church is that we, we find God's identity for us. We find out who God says we are and that we work to change our thinking and change our living so that our view of ourselves resembles God's view of us. I feel like when that happens, we will, we will hit that point where things work. Where the things we pursue are the things that God is opening for us. We find favor. We find ease. We find blessing. And I'm not saying that you won't have challenges. But what I'm saying is you, you, will, find, you will find the skills and the ability within you are able to meet those challenges. That your partnership with Jesus gives you victory in those challenges. And so I feel like one of the most important things we can do in life is to work to align our thinking about ourselves with God's thinking about us. So many, many years ago, there was a great apostle, and his name was Paul. And he started a number of churches. He went around doing great exploits for God. He was nearly killed a number of times. He was, did miracles on many occasions. And as he went around doing these things, he came across, across different people, and he came across a particular gentleman by the name of Timothy. Timothy had a Greek mother. No, she, he didn't. He had, a, she, he had a Jewish mother. And this Jewish mother had come to faith in Christ, and she had taught her son about Christ. And he was a, a Jesus follower. 
He had a Greek father. If you don't know what that means, it means that he was Greek. <laughs> Got that. But in those days, anyone who wasn't a Jew was called a Greek. So what it, what it literally means when the Bible calls you Greek, it means that he was not Jewish. The Bible talks nothing about his father, but it talks a lot about his mother. Well, not a lot. It talks about his mother. So the likelihood of the fact that he followed his mother's faith, it's likely that the father was absent. And when Paul came across this young boy, I don't know what Timothy thought about himself. But if any of you have grown up without a father, you will know that it does something to your soul. Sometimes there's a there's a sense of, I don't know who I am. Because fathers define us. Fathers give that identity. And sometimes there's a sense of regret or lack or there's something missing from my life. You know what Paul did? It's so amazing. He said, how about you be my son? And Paul came and stood in that place and began to speak identity and life and blessing over him. And took him under his wing and kind of nurtured him. And Timothy took after Paul and began to carry on his legacy. The Bible talks on many instances of when Paul would send Timothy to different churches. Because he said, he will do exactly what I want. He knows me very well and he will, he will give you the instructions that I desire you to have. In other words, Paul really trusted him. Right now, the end of Paul's life, he wrote a letter. He was in prison. He, he, later, we find out he does get out of prison, but at that time, he didn't know he was going to get out of prison. There was a good chance he was going to die there. And he wrote a letter to, his, to Timothy. I imagine that if you're in that situation, you're in prison, things aren't going so well, and you have a spiritual son out there, the, the letter you wrote in that situation would have some significance. Those would be the things you really, really, really wanted Timothy to know. So we find that letter in the Bible. It is called Second Timothy because it's the second letter he wrote to Timothy. And if you have your Bibles, you can open it to 2 Timothy 2, and we'll start reading from verse 1. He says to Timothy, and you must remember one of the primary purposes of a dad is to define someone, to give identity. And here we see a passage of Scripture where Paul is doing just that to Timothy. He's, he's giving him an idea of who he is. And he says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. He goes on and he says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this.
You know, by virtue of who you believe yourself to be, you will organize your life and behave according to that. We know that children growing up who have been told often that they're bad and grow up with a feeling of, I'm a bad person, end up acting that out in one of two ways. They either behave very badly because I'm a bad person and this is how bad people behave, or because they're afraid that people will discover how bad they are. They overcompensate and try to be super good and then it all crashes and they end up doing exceptionally bad things. And when they do those bad things, they go, oh, yeah, see, it's true. It's true. It's almost like out of that sense of identity in your heart becomes a behavior. The minute you become a fireman, what do you do? You put out fires. What I mean by that, but the identity that you take on determines your behavior. So Paul, as he is speaking to Timothy, is saying something. He's he's giving him my identity, but at the same time he's saying, and in light of that identity, this is how you behave. And the first identity he gives, as you remember, right at the beginning, he says, Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that you've been given. The first identity he speaks over him is that of son. And of course, he was calling him his son, but ultimately he was alluding to this incredible principle of the kingdom is that the kingdom is a family. First and foremost, it's a family. That God is our father and that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he was modeling the kingdom to this man. Galatians 4, 6 and 7 says a fabulous thing. Well, I'm only going to quote verse 7 to you, but it says this. It says, you are no longer slaves. Are you all happy about that? I don't know how you feel, but I just don't like the idea of being a slave. So that's good news right there. You are no longer slaves, but you are sons. You didn't know that that was the alternative to being a son. But really, that's it. There are two kinds of people. They're slaves and they are sons. So he's saying, I've set you free. I've set you free. Because slaves only do what they have to do. Sons get to do the desires of their heart. He says, you're no longer slaves, you're sons. And then he goes on and he says, not only that, but because you are sons, God has made you heirs. That's with an H at the beginning. But he's made you heirs. Because primarily, that is the meaning of what it is to be a son or a daughter. Is that you inherit from your father. And guys, that is so, so great. So, so great. I want to let you into some insight about how our home operates. 
Yeah. <laughs> Andrew's like, what is she going to say? I just, I think I have the three greatest children in the world. I know you feel like you have the greatest children in the world. Okay, Andrew feels like he is the greatest. We'll arm wrestle later. But because they're my children, they get certain privileges. They're many great, great privileges. But one of them is they get to walk around in their pajamas if they want to at home. If you come to visit me, I'm asking you, deep from within my heart, Please don't wear your pajamas. You know, there's, there's a level of relational intimacy that happens in a home that allows for these kinds of things. Now, they don't wear their pajamas all day, but nonetheless, there's a comfort and an ease that they feel there. When they sit down on the couches and they put their feet up on the ottoman, I only have half a, like, a wince inside. If I... If you arrive in my house and you put your feet up on, your, on my ottoman, I'm going to have a big, big, big issue. But there's certain privileges. You know, they walk into the kitchen and they open up the fridge and take anything out. I, yeah, I'm happy. Especially if it's apples and celery and stuff. But you know, if if someone I don't know walks into my house and they just open my fridge and just start to take, take food out, I, you know, I'm going to be like, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. But in the kingdom, there's certain privileges of being sons and daughters of the Most High God. You know, there's a there's a relational intimacy that happens between us that facilitates certain behaviors. And it's got very little to do with pajamas. But it means that there's a, there's a place of belonging. You know, I don't know how many Christians, after years of being in a church, tell me they don't feel like they're apart. And I want to propose something to you. That it's not the church's fault. I want to propose to you that it's an identity issue. Because how can you not feel apart? This is your father's house. This is your father's house. Of course you're apart. Of course you're apart. Above and beyond this, this is your father's world. No matter where you go, whatever shop you walk into, whatever business you're a part of, of course you belong. Because it's your father's world. There's some places you don't want to be, but nonetheless you belong. Romans 8 verse 39 says a really great thing. It says that neither height nor depth can separate you from the love of God. And it goes on and says that nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God. You know what I love about that? Is that everything's in creation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> There's only one thing that's not in creation. And that's God himself. He's the only uncreated thing 
that you will ever encounter. And that's God himself. So that means, according to this verse, there's only one thing that can separate you from the love of God, and that's God. Here's the beauty of it, is that he came and made a covenant through his son to always love you. The beauty of a covenant is this, that it can only be nullified if the person who made the covenant dies. And guess what? God's never going to die. (laughs) He can't die. So he knew when he entered into that covenant, it was forever. Knowing the worst that you would ever do, he chose 2,000 years ago to say, I will never, ever, ever, ever stop loving that person. I will never, ever stop thinking well of that person. I will never, ever stop yearning for good for them. I will never stop wanting to provide for them because that's what love does. Next we have is an inheritance. Luke 12, verse 32 is one of my favorite verses because it's so tender. It's so tender. Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, I want to tell you something. And he calls them my little flock. I know all you men are going, what? All us women are going, ah. But it's like one of those moments where you catch Jesus at his most tenderest. And he says this, it is my father's good pleasure. It is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'm pretty sure God doesn't sleep. But if he did, and you were to wake up one morning, the first thing that would be on his mind would be, oh my word, I can't wait for them to pray. I can't wait for them to pray. I'm so longing to give them these blessings if they would just ask. He's not sitting there, oh, my word. Oh, they're asking for a good marriage. Oh, I just don't feel like it today. I just don't feel like it today. He's not sitting there, oh, my gosh. They asked. They asked to prosper. Oh, no. I wasn't thinking about that. He's just like, I don't think he says, praise the Lord, because he is Lord. I don't know what he says. Yay, praise me. <laughs> they, they asked. They asked. <laughs> they asked. So I can do what I've been longing to do. We have an inheritance. But we have responsibilities also as sons and daughters of the Most High God, and that is to represent the family name. And to further the family business. What does that mean? Is that because you're an inheritor in this whole thing, it's yours. So if God does well, you do well. When I first learned to drive, I drove my parents' cars. And I have to say this. I don't know that I drove them very well. My dad, being a really lovely father and God blessing us, bought me a car, a very old green beetle. I drove the car, and because it was mine, that it was night and day how differently I drove it from my parents' car. It 
It's like when you grasp this fact that this is your kingdom too. That when the church prospers, I prosper. When the church looks good, I look good. It makes all the difference. That we are about our Father's business. That's what makes us good sons and daughters, that we're about our Father's business. And that we represent the family name well. Matthew 5 verse 16, a lovely verse. It says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven. It's that daily we demonstrate the goodness of God by being good people. The next thing he called him, he says, he called him like a soldier, he says. Endure hardships with us. Overcome hardships. How many of you have met a soldier? How many of you have been a soldier? Is there anyone? Yeah. (laughs) Well, guess what? All of us, actually, we are soldiers. Those of you who, who were in the army ever, did this ever happen? Your commanding officer came to you while you lay luxuriously in bed and handed you a pina colada and a beautifully cooked breakfast. I don't know why you'd have pina colada and breakfast together, but anyway, that never happened. Never, ever happened. There was some kind of an alarm that went off or a bugle or some kind of thing, and you fell out of bed, and you knew you had 10 minutes to get everything, the corners of your bed at right angles and in your uniform and standing at attention. Yeah, I know some of you have been in the army are like quaking your boots. Don't take me back to that. But you know, there's some responsibilities we have in the kingdom because because this kingdom is at war. It's already won. It's a great war. This is the kind of war you always want to fight, where you're guaranteed to win before you begin. But the truth is, because we're in an army, that there are certain ways that we behave that make us good soldiers. And some of those things that we are devoted to the cause of our commanding officer. And when that alarm goes in the morning, (laughs) we are up and at it. And whether that's literally the alarm in the morning or it's just the, the call of the Spirit of God in your heart, it's like, I'm at this thing. It's when those prompts and those leadings come in your mind to say something to someone or to speak to someone. You're not like, oh, my Lord, I first need a little, a little massage, a shoulder massage, and then I'll get to it. You know, it's like boots on, rifle at the ready. Hello, my name is Carol. I felt like God wanted me to say, da da da. Or I, I was thinking about you and um, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? I'm at the ready. When, when, when you read the Bible and you hear it say, give a tenth of all your income, it's not, ah, oh, maybe if I, if I have a, a, a five-week holiday in the Seychelles, I could, probably, I could probably work myself up to that. It's 
because we're in a war. And every soldier knows that if you disobey your commanding officer, you die. And not only you, but the people around you, that there's devastation is a consequence of disobedience. Paul also said this, enjoy hardships with us. You know, a unique thing about the army is it's not just one person. Imagine if America went to war with Iraq again. Lord forbid, heaven forbid, let it never happen. But imagine if they did. And they found one super, super soldier. And they took him and they dropped him in the middle of the Iraqi desert. Bam. All alone. And said, do your thing. It's not Captain America, because we know Captain America would be able to do it. Just, he was a normal man. That would be the shortest war you've ever seen. One shot fired over, Iraq's one. Why? Because we win wars together. We win wars together. And you know what's great about the army is that every soldier in the army is not so much concerned about their personal identity, their personal well-being. They're concerned about the well-being of the troop. Because as we all succeed together, so we all succeed. There's some privileges of being in the army, believe it or not. You carry authority to get things done. If that man arrived with his machine gun in front of you, pointed it at you and said, get on your knees, what would you do? (laughs) Mike says he would run. Mike, it's the wrong answer. It's the wrong answer. You have to go back to school. <laughs> oh my word, I wish you could hear the comments that come from my husband while I'm preaching. It's really hard to keep on the straight and narrow. He said to me, that's a really great bullet point there. <laughs> can't you, can you, I just can't wait for him to preach again, darling. It's going to be a good day. Good day. But you're going to get down on your knees. Because he's carrying a symbol of authority. I want to tell you something really great. (laughs) When you stand in environments that the devil has been ruining, and you say, devil, get out of here. Guess what he does? He gets out. Because you have the spiritual equivalent of a machine gun in your hands. And it's pointed right at his head. And that looks like the sign above your head that says, Son of God, daughter of God. It's the righteousness you carry by virtue of Christ inside of you. It is the truth that you walk in. It is the being ready with the gospel of peace. It's the shield of faith you hold. It's the sword of the spirit that's in your hand. And guess what? There is, there is no commanding officer in history who would keep rations from his army. Why? Because they can't do the job he needs them to do. And I promise you this, we have a commanding officer like none other. And I promise you this, you be about his, his business and he will provide for it. He will make sure that everything is taken care of. The next identity is one of an athlete. Guys, I would really, 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 really like to win the Comrades Marathon. And I would really like to do it on a motorbike. <laughs> I know I'd be first across the line, but no one would give me a prize. Why? Because I didn't do it according to the rules. I didn't do it according to the rules. 
And, you know, sometimes the frustration we feel in our Christianity is not that there's anything wrong, but it's that we are disobeying the rules. We're not doing it according to God's plan. There's a way of being wealthy that doesn't involve stealing, cheating. (laughs) But you know, the, the blessings of the kingdom are not just in what you get, but it's in the way you get them. And the only way we're going to be effective in identity as athletes, as runners, as pursuers of God's truth, is that like athletes, we discipline ourselves to follow the rules. First of all, to know the rules. In other words, you're going to have to read your Bibles. I mean, that's basically what I'm saying. You're going to have to read your Bibles. You're going to have to come to church and hear hear what the kingdom is and how it operates. And then follow those, and I guarantee you, it's, an, it's one, like it's a, I said, the war we always win. It's also, also a race we always win. It's a race we always win. And here's the privileges that we get to do great exploits. The Bible says that with faith, there is nothing that is impossible. The last identity is that of a farmer. And he says that the hardworking farmer is the first to get the the benefits of the yield. I know very little about farming. Plants run screaming when I walk into the garden. But I know this, that if a farmer were to plow his field but not sow seed. Nine months later, if you went to that field and expected to get a harvest, there would be none. That the only way to get a harvest is to sow seed. And so the responsibilities of a farmer is to sow seed continuously and generously. And that's not just financial seed, that's every kind of seed. What you sow into relationships is what you're going to reap into relationships. You sow kindness, love, um, diligence, protection into relationships, and you will reap that continuously. And the day you stop sowing it, sometime down the line, you're going to stop reaping it. You You sow godliness into your work, diligence, you're going to reap reward. It's a principle of the kingdom. And part of our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God is that we are sowers. We are generous like our Father. And as we give the right things, those things come back in abundance to us. In conclusion, the first and foremost identity you will ever carry is that of son and daughter of the Most High God. These will translate into ways, they will work themselves out into ways of behaving that look like Soldiers, athletes, and farmers. We will obey our commanding officer. We will run the race and get to the end. We will pursue God. We will sow generously and righteously on every occasion and reap abundantly. Because we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen.